13 fights. Let's go first fight in the fight card. First up, Juliana Miller at 3-2. and two, The American versus Luana Santos at 5-1, and one, making her UFC debut. Let me show you the screen I'm looking at here. So here we are. And you know Juliana Miller. We all know who she is. She is a very uh, attractive prospect. And I want to say this. You know how some girls are like, you know, that girl is really sexy. And maybe she has a terrible personality. Um, and then another girl may be like, oh, you know, she's she's kind of funny or she's kind of... When it comes to Juliana Miller, she's got that spunk about her. She's got a really cool personality. She's the kind of person where if I can categorize this, like you would have fun going with her to a bar, listening to a cover band, playing some pool. She could probably hold her own at the bar and have a few beers, laugh and have a good time and probably change the car on your truck at the end of the night if you get too hammered. Like that's the way I, I foresee her. And I think from seeing her on the Contender Series last, I'm sorry, Ultimate Fighter last year where she won, I think it's 250 grand for that prize. So she made some loot, then comes in for her UFC debut and just everything falls off. I want to reference something. I remember watching her warm up before that fight. No, no I'm sorry. She did a, a photo session the day or two before the fight. And she did like a little thing where she did some punches and a, and a kick. And it was before the fight. And I thought to myself, man, that those punches looked so awkward. I, I guess it must have just been her messing around for the camera. Nah, when she came out and fought the next day against Victoria Hardy, she just looked like the fish out of the water, could not strike with any kind of fluidity. It just looked, it didn't look very good. And so then you roll back the tape, like what happened here? How did we all miss this? Because everyone had her parlayed and we were all on the hype train. She's done the, the UFC, I'm sorry, she's done the commentating for lower level mixed martial arts events. We see her on social media. She's got, a, you know, she's got a thing about her. Most guys who like mixed martial arts would probably find her pretty attractive. I gave her the check mark. So we were all on that train and she comes out there and the wheels fall off. Victoria Hardy hadn't fought in a minute. And so we see all these holes. Where was that from? Did we not see it before? Why were we distracted by her looks? What happened to us? Go back and watch Ultimate Fighter. She didn't fight anybody there of substance. And that's not her fault. She ultimately was the best of that crew. And that crew was light in talent. So she comes out of there with the appropriate hype, they line her up with someone that I think they expected her to beat who hadn't fought in a minute, you know? Victoria Harden hadn't looked very good in her prior fight, and it was like a three-year layoff. So for Miller, like, it all just came to, came out, like, at that point, what the weaknesses were. Now they're giving her Luana Santos. I don't feel as if it's, like, an easy matchup, and this is a pretty fast turnaround when you consider how much Miller needs to improve. She needs to improve her striking, needs to improve... Uh, at least how she manages her endurance so that when she's going for for takedowns later on they're not so sloppy needs to improve her head movement especially when she's coming in her, her her striking is very labored she takes time she dips her shoulders you could see everything coming hardy was able to just tap and go circle and move and hardy is athletic but i don't consider her being the fastest person in this division luana santos is pretty athletic herself for miller i feel like she needs a year in the gym she needs to hit all the different aspects of you know getting quicker, uh, speeding up her clock. If she's going to be a grappler, get that part of the game master. She is pretty good at jiu-jitsu. I've said my piece there about all that. But here's the thing with Miller. People are now saying, coming to this fight, that, well, you know, she, she's not that bad. She's due. They're giving her a matchup. You know, she, she's kind of, people are looking down on her now because she lost last fight. Now, just look at what happened in the last fight. There were some specific issues there going on with her as to why she did lose. So 
Moving forward here, Juliana Miller, three and two overall, um, three and two in her last five from San Diego, California, 27 years, very young, five, seven in height. So again, young, should have time to make improvements. About the same reach and height for both ladies here. And for Miller, she's out of Team Hurricane Awesome and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu San Diego. For Luana Santos, the very cute Brazilian here based upon her profile picture, five and one overall out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, very young at 23. That's a bit of a red flag. That's young enough to make just not good moves in there make mistakes find herself getting submitted or something so again same height and reach approximately for both ladies out of team lucas monero for her gym and zero double one zero double one one mma all right let me go over here and pull up my excel sheet and some notes all right so just some basics here on these two ladies for experience we do give an advantage to miller because this is her not second or third. It's kind of like her fourth or fifth UFC fight when you consider the Ultimate Fighter stuff, which is not official fights, but you get my drift. She's been in the Apex before. She's fought there. This is more home more home court, court for her, excuse me, than it would be for Santos. So experience-wise, I do give her an advantage. When it comes to fighter IQ, I can't sit here and criticize Miller and say, oh, she's a dumb fighter, and I can't say Santos is much smarter. They're both very young, 23, 27. They're both learning. So for fighter IQ... The jury's still out. For cardio, I do give an advantage to Santos. There's something that was very laboring about the way Miller moved in her last fight. And I mentioned that before. For finishing ability, I, I like, you know, my old coach from college used to tell me, I'm from Missouri. And I'm like, what do you mean, coach? And he would say, it's the show me state. Like, show me. Don't tell me what you're going to do. You know, show it to me in practice. You know, show me that you can do it. Don't just say, I'm going to do it on game day. In any case, um, for Miller, I, she, very, very laboring. I got to see her do more. And the same thing for finishing. I just think both ladies have to show me before I can say they're either one's a better finish than the other. But they both have finishes on their, on their resume. I will say that. When it comes to striking, recency bias, Miller just looks so uncomfortable striking. I got to get the advantage there to Santos. And when it comes to grappling, you know, they probably are about equal. But it's like, which version of Miller? Miller within the first two, three minutes of the fight against an average fighter like when she was on the ultimate fighter she looks like she's pretty good there when she can't you know get those sloppy takedowns and then she fatigues her grappling and her wrestling doesn't look that good anymore so that's up in the air there some props to keep an eye on here fight going the distance fight starts round number two split props keep your eye on that these prices are not out just yet um santos by decision over 1.5 rounds all spots i like but those spots again are not published yet just some more notes here on the fight. Santos is making her first walk in the UFC cage. She went 2-1 and one in LFA. She has three finishes by submission, prefers a ground fight. Santos especially likes to do hip tosses. So it's one of those things where she'll like go for a head and arm thing, kind of like that girl later on, later on, later on Montserrat uh, Ruiz. So any kind of hip toss into a headlock, that's one of her moves. Um, from there, she'll kind of keep the headlock, rain down strikes, and keep her opponent in that position. Three of her five pro wins are by submission. She has finishing ability. Her only blemish was a split decision defeat at the hands of Jenna Bishop, a fighter we've interviewed before who's in Bellator, who's undefeated like a 7-0, and is a very good grappler. And, of course, that's what happened in that fight for Santos. Kind of got tied up with the very good jiu-jitsu of uh, Jenna Bishop. An area that Santos needs to improve on is her striking. It's very raw and lacks power. Kind of like her counterpart here, right, Miss Miller? Um, so... Santos needs to outperform Miller in the grappling department to ensure victory. That's our take on, on Miss uh, Santos. As for Miller, coming off a rough UFC debut, we talked about it before. She dropped the ball, was a minus 420 favorite. Wow. 
it was an eye-opening experience for everyone. I mean, she lost from pillar to post every part of the fight. Miller was clearly overrated coming out of the last season of Contenders or Ultimate Fighter. It wasn't her fault we talked about before. The level of competition in the Ultimate Fighter was not very high, and so she kind of got a cakewalk to the finals and to the victory. Um, we're not confident she's had enough time to make the adjustments, to get faster, increase power. I mean, I just don't see it. You know, point of fact, her striking to me just is not hard enough or lethal enough enough to even scare Santos here. I think Santos could probably just walk in and do what she wants to do and then pepper her and do whatever. And I don't think Miller's strikes will will scare her at all. So unless Miller's taking like the juice or some kind of miracle drug, I don't think she's had enough time to improve. And so I think that Santos is set up here for the better opportunity and should perform better. But look, hey, it's it's women's MMA where we usually don't see knockouts. We see fights go to close decisions. I suggest looking at the split props when they come out. Over 1.5 rounds. Fight starts round number three, and Santos by decision are also some spots that we will consider here. But we're going with Miss Luana Santos to win by decision. Let's move on here. So second fight on the card is going to be Damon Blackshear, 13-5-1 American, against Jose Johnson. I want to say Jose, but I believe it's pronounced Jose Johnson. I will try to make this a little quicker here because I got all into my my rant there on Juliana Miller and blah, 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 whatever. Uh, I wish her the best, though. Nothing against her. If she could pull off the victory, it'd be nice. Bantamweight weight bout, 135 pounds. Damon Blackshear, wrestler, wrestler, fighter, goes by Demonster against Jose Johnson, who goes by Lobo Solitario. That's a nice little nickname. It rolls off the tongue. 13-5-1 for Blackshear, 15-7 for Jose Johnson. Before I get all into that, let me tell you guys who I have. I have Mr. DeMond Blackshear to win by round two submission. That is our prediction. Not saying that, like I'm going to put, you know, the you know the, the mortgage on that bet, but I do think it's possible he can get a submission. I think it's possible also he can win by decision. I think it's possible Jose Johnson can win the fight. Um in any case, Blackshear minus 205, Jose Johnson plus 170. And again, we like Blackshear to win by round two submission. As for their basics here, give me one second. Blackshear, 13-5-1 overall, 3-1-1 his last five. From North Kakalaka, not that Kakalaka, North Carolina. 29 years old, 5'10 in height, 72-inch reach out of Team ROC. For Jose Johnson or Jose Johnson, Mr. Lobo Solatario, he's 15-7 overall, 4-1 his last five out of Corpus Cove, Texas. I wonder if that's close to Corpus Christi, Corpus Cove. 28 years old, six feet in height, so we'll have about a two-inch height advantage, 71-inch each, 71-inch reach, reach is about the same for both guys. He's out of Street Kings. All right, pulling up my little Excel sheet here. What I got for you guys here is that in the experience department, Jose Johnson does have an advantage. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, well, I'll just tell you right now, he has like, 20 something i don't even know like maybe almost 30 amateur fights i'm not kidding you i'm not kidding you. i'll pull it up for you if you think i'm playing with you this guy literally has so many amateur fights i don't even understand it so if you go to his tapology just scroll down you gotta just keep scrolling i've been scrolling so i'll stop when it's the pro level here so that's the pro right there 2016 my man goes pro <laughs> you scroll down here it's like countless countless amateur bouts and so, yeah, that fact, look, I'm still scrolling. That factors into why we're saying he has a bit of a 
experience advantage. He's just simply fought more fights, um, has fought more pro fights, but then has fought a ton of amateur fights. For Damon Blackshear, though, former, I think, college wrestler, has been at least competing in some type of combat sports you know, for a while. He also has experience, but I'll give a slight advantage there to Jose Johnson for experience. Fighter IQ, both guys check out, nothing too silly. Uh, cardio, both okay, have their moments, can use some improvement. For finishing ability, give a slight edge to Damon Blackshear. He's pretty good with submissions. For striking, about the same. And with Jose Johnson, I mean, he looks like a guy who would probably fight at distance more, but he actually likes to implore a little bit more wrestling. And then for grappling, I do give an edge to Damon Blackshear. I think he's the more solid wrestler, has better technique. Let's talk about the notes I have here on this fight. And I'll pull back up their screen here real quick. So Damon Blackshear, Jose Johnson. And here's what I've got to say about this fight. So Damon Blackshear, by round two submission, is the prediction. Fight comes down to which of them can implement their style. Blackshear is a balanced wrestler with sharp striking. I mean, very quick strikes. If you go back and watch some of his fights, he's like, you know, he'll peck at you. Little punch, little inside, little low leg kick. Not with a ton of power, but it's quick, it's fast. It can be distracting. He throws lands, I mean, he throws and lands more than Johnson. So just on paper, and of course, fights aren't won and lost on paper, but just on paper, he does outpoint um his opponent here so if it went the full distance you would imagine he may have an advantage especially if he can you know tie in one or two takedowns eight of blackshear's 13 wins are by submission again eight of his 13 wins by submission and he's earned finishes in his and four of his last five fights so high finish rate even now into the ufc you do respect that now compared to johnson blackshear has faced we believe to be the harder schedule going all the way back to his amateur days he actually fought guys who would end up, end up going on to the UFC like guys like Tony Gravely. So he's been against good competition now for a minute. For Johnson, employs a wrestle-heavy style. His his physique makes him look like a, like a kickboxer or a Muay Thai. Alex Pereira, Adesanya, that long frame. But when you watch him fight, he goes right in for takedowns. He doesn't have high-volume striking numbers. His, his striking stats are actually below average. So he wants to take you down. He wants to wrestle you. He wants to actually ground and pound you and maybe even look for submissions. That's his style. Nothing wrong with that, but again, when you look at him at first, you're thinking this guy's probably going to use himself at range and long kicks and stuff like that. Um, his wrestling can get sloppy. He can be reversed at times. Uh, he can fatigue. Um, so all, all a bit of like sort of a question mark here. Now, his best version of himself, he peppers some things from distance, you know, mixes in some takedowns. He gets the position control. You know, somehow he outpaces Blackshear. Yeah. But in all likelihood, to me, it turns into a, just a, a bona fide wrestling match. And I think there, Damon Blackshear's better. If you look at Damon Blackshear's resume, you see like losses he's had against certain fighters that are quality fighters. If he's hanging with those guys, I think this guy here, Jose Johnson's a step below what he's seen recently. And Damon Blackshear at the least gets himself a win by decision, but if not by submission. Under two and a half rounds, fight doesn't go the full distance, and fight ends by submission. Again, we like Damon Blackshear by round two submission. That's the second fight in the card. He's minus 205 favorite against Jose Johnson. All right, let's continue here with the breakdown. We are up to Jacqueline Amarim versus Montserrat Ruiz. And Jacqueline is the minus 250 favorite as of currently right now, Thursday evening, the 10th of August. We've got Ruiz at plus 205. Amram is 6-1-0 overall, 4-1 her last five, 28 years old, been a pro for about four years. Ruiz is plus 205 in the line, 10-2 overall, 3-2 in her last five, 30 years old, about the same age, been a professional for about nine years. And so they're side-by-sides here. 
Um, experience, I give a slight edge to Montserrat Ruiz. Has just simply fought a few more fights, okay? And fighter IQ, about the same. Cardio-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm torn here. But all I can go off of is that, is that last fight for Amarim. And boy, did she gas out. So I give a slight edge in cardio to Ruiz. Finishing ability. You look, we all know Amarim had a bunch of finishes. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's like, let me pull up something here real quick. I'm going to pull up another a piece of research. So again, with Amarim, we all know her deal about the, the, the submissions and stuff like that. And, you know, she's she's obviously got a lot of talent. But that first fight was a colossal disaster for her. And so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But so for conditioning, I'm going to give it extra Ruiz. For finishing, it, we'll, we'll see. Striking, neither one of them is a very good striker. If you've seen Montserrat Ruiz strike, she just comes forward like, and it's just all, a, it's all like, she might as well just do this, like smoke and mirrors. like <laughs> Because it's all just a way to get in close. And then from there, She's looking for one move, baby, and one move only. She's going for this head and arm toss. I mean, it's almost like an anomaly. It's It doesn't make sense, but it's a move that goes on in female mixed martial arts. It just doesn't happen in men's martial arts. Like, you tell me the last time you saw a dude. I, I, don't, I don't know the last time I saw it. And I watch a lot of fights, but I don't last time, even just studying film, watching some low-level stuff, have you seen a man grab another man in a head and arm triangle type of thing or just head and arm type of thing and then toss them to the ground into a headlock that then last in the headlock for like four minutes? Yo, if you could place a bet on that, like a prop that, that Montserrat Ruiz gets the head and arm throw and then how long she has to throw for, Oh my gosh, I know I'm laughing, but that's the only thing that she can do. She comes in very uh, risky. If Jacqueline Amarim ha has made any improvements in her striking and could just throw one or two straight punches, maybe just an elbow up the middle, she'll catch Montserrat Ruiz just coming in like Frankenstein. But that's a big if. And Amarim is in the same camp as Miller. Have you had enough time? Has there been enough time between the last outing and now to make those improvements? And I don't know that question. I'm not in her camp. Most people here would be speculating the same thing. We just don't know. But anyway, back to the point here. Um, for I don't know what my point was. I lost my <laughs> lost my train of thought here. But I do have some numbers to go over with you guys in a second. Let me just jump into my notes on these two fighters, and then we'll go from there. So Montserrat Ruiz by decision at plus three hundred. That is our prediction. Uh, let me pull up here. I guess whatever. You guys are looking at the Excel sheet. That's fine. I'm looking at a different piece of paper right here or a different form. So Amram is coming off a loss in her UFC debut earlier this year. She was a minus 275 favorite in that fight. And that was against Sam Hughes. That's the fight where, again, she came in, hot prospect, and da 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 And then Sam Hughes is a very average fighter. Kind of put her in her place. Now, in first round, we do have to acknowledge that, that Jacqueline had success in round one. She had Sam Hughes in some dangerous positions. And there was a moment there where if you had taken Amarin by round one submission or by submission or just simply as a parlay piece, you were about to cash your tickets. That that SHIT really did almost happen. That's not just saying, oh, it actually almost happened. I had bet on Sam Hughes that night. I was one of the few people that was actually on Sam Hughes, not because I thought Sam Hughes was so amazing, just my question marks about regional seam fighters coming in. I don't care if they're 15-0, 10-0, 7-0. You got to look at their record kind of sideways. And she had some things about her record that were like, 
some of this stinks a little bit. Some of these fighters are not very good. And so from there, I decided to fade her. It worked out. But again, let me roll the tape back now. Sam Hughes almost got finished in round one by Amram. So we do know that Jacqueline is, is live for the submissions. Even in a fight where she lost, she almost got a submission. You could say in a different world, she gets a submission there. But here's the other side of that coin. She doesn't get the submission. She gasses out. Poor job of her managing her endurance, managing her emotions, having plan B, being able to go to round two. Let's re-engage, get back to a submission. Instead, it turns into complete wheels falling off. Grappling becomes attempts, but they're awful. They're sloppy. Sam Hughes is just, she's been there before. She's done this. She's a little bit sharper. Starts to just overtake the entire fight. And Emmerim is like a sloppy wet cloth. Can't really do much. Striking then starts to look just like she's in the same camp with Juliana Miller. You're just like, what is this? That's never going to hurt anybody. And when the fight's all said and done, you're just like, I can't believe I bet on a fighter in Amarim, who, yeah, she had whatever, six or seven or so, whatever finishes on her resume. It's impressive, but it's like, against who? Matter of fact here, um, let me go over her numbers real quick here. Let me show this screen. Here's some notes here. So for, for Jacqueline, right? So for her submissions, five of her six wins are by submission. Okay, so she's got six total wins, one's by TKO and one's by submission. So up into her last fight, she has this record of all round one finishes. And again, who were they, who were they against? You could look at the records. It was very sus suspect competition. Comes to the UFC and then obviously told a different story. Man, one of her fights, actually, she knocked somebody out in 10 seconds. You watch that fight, who she fought, and you're like, oh, come on. My little sister can knock that person out probably, right? For Jacqueline, does train at a good gym, does have good takedown offense, averaging two takedowns per fight, though after round one of her last fight, she took down the Sam Hughes early on, but then round two and three fell apart. Cardio is an issue, very one-dimensional, striking lacks power, takedown defense is not great, could use improvements, and as a big favorite, she dropped the ball. So the market doesn't, I'm saying it's not against her, the market doesn't know how to value her yet. Like this fight will tell us more. If she wins and wins by like a submission in round one, then she'll have like, who's the girl who won by her submission recently over Molly McCann? Ju Julia Stoyalenko. Julia Stoyalenko, right? There's a fighter who she's like round one arm bar or bust. Maybe that's what Jacqueline is. So she gets back into her lane here, gets back on track with a first round submission. That would make sense. But we get to round two. Rip of those tickets. She's going to get into such a situation again where she's not going to have the endurance to fight, I believe. And it'll turn into a fight of, you know, just have you been there before? And for Montserrat Ruiz, she's at least been there before a few times. And uh, it's all right. Let's talk about Ruiz here for a second here. For Ruiz, one-dimensional fighter as well. Definition of the one-trick pony. Her go-to move is the head and arm toss. We talked about before. From there, she turns into a headlock, keeps control on the ground, just keeps grinding her opponent to bits. Um, it's a boring way of fighting. It's not very exciting. If she wins the fight that way, it's going to be people booing. I can, I can assure you that. Whatever 10 people are there in the apex. Well, it'll be a small group, right? It's a little small arena. Um, Reese charges forward, very reckless. Hands are apart, just looking to get herself in for a takedown. It's all a bit of a distraction. Her entire game plan is predicated on takedowns, head arm triangle chokes. If she's forced to fight on the feet, and we've seen it before. Like, for example, she has a win over Cheyenne Vlismas, right? But go back and watch that fight. Glismas is tearing her ass apart on any time they're on the feet. But Ruiz gets like two or three of these head and arm takedowns, and it just eats the clock. 
the judges had to give it to Ruiz. It was the right fighter who won the fight. But after it was all said and done, you're like, man, if that fight was on the feet for any longer, you're thinking that at some point, um, probably she loses the fight. So on the feet, it's raw. It's not very good. But is is Jacqueline Amarim good on the feet? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I didn't see that. I think Ruiz needs to be very careful with Amarim on the ground early on. Like that would be her keys to victory for Ruiz. Like go for your head and arm triangle thing. But be careful you don't like miss it and then turn it into her being on your back. I would even say for maybe Ruiz, try to just get the fight to round two. So don't be too aggressive. Join, try to jump in. Just tick, tick, tick. Get it to round two or three. You've seen that this girl has a hard time with cardio. But in the process of Ruiz trying to get that head arm triangle thing, she messes around and slips off. She could have this girl on her back and then we could have see herself again. Round one submission for Amram. The betting spots here. Amram. Jacqueline by round one submission. That's plus 175. And whew, market's aware. <laughs> They're very aware. That's her most likely way of winning the fight. If you want to bet it, I don't want to get too invested there. Maybe like a half a unit there. <sighs> I don't know. It's yeah, I don't maybe that's not even worth it, honestly. It's not worth a half a unit. No, it's not. Plus 175. You know, the meat has been chewed off the bone. How about fight start for number two? At minus 200 that's assuming that we could just get five minutes it's a female fight i think that could happen could be a parlay piece ruiz by decision plus 300 that's expecting a fight like the sam hughes fight so it's like can we get a, a replay of that i mean fighters tend to do things again the same mistakes I, it could happen ruiz could get the headlock and amram could spend 15 minutes on the ground trying to wiggle around and trying to get out of the headlock you know um, and then Ruiz on the money line. I do believe Ruiz is a good play here. Someone to consider playing straight up. It'll be on our tip sheet. She's plus 205. Like that to me is more worth a half unit than playing Amarin by round one submission where it's like specific prop, specific method. And uh, yeah. Anyway, Montserrat Ruiz by decision is the uh, is the pick here. Let's go ahead and move on with the card. We're going to go up to a heavyweight bout. Josh Parisian. The American fighter who's 15 and 6 and 0 overall against Martin Boudet. I'm probably saying that name wrong. Boudet, Boudet. Um, I'm saying it with no do, no no means of disrespect. Um, he's a good heavyweight. I think he's going to win this fight, actually. But if I'm saying his name wrong, uh, I do apologize. So the big boys here, Josh Parisian, 15 and 6. Oh, actually, before I get into this, let me tell you who I, I like to win here. I do like Boudet to win by decision at plus 175. Boudet is minus 200. As of Thursday evening, Parisians plus 165-er. Okay, back over here to um, my little handy-dandy notes and their particulars. Okay, so for Parisian, 15-6 and six overall, 2-3 and three in his last five. He's a dog here out of Michigan, 34 years old, 6'4 in height with a 79-inch reach. His opponent, by the way, Boudet, is also 6'4 with about the same reach. So height, size-wise, but the same. 31 years old for Boudet, very young for a heavyweight, but also 34 is young for heavyweight too. Both guys are approaching their prime years of the heavyweight uh, heavyweight careers. For Mr. Barton Boudet, he's out of Slovakia, 12-1 and one overall, and he's undefeated in his last five, so on a very nice streak. Again, he's a favorite about minus 205. Okay, as for our numbers here on these two guys, we think that Josh Parisian has the experience advantage. That's mostly UFC experience, right? More fights in the UFC, so we give him a slight advantage there. When it comes to fighter IQ, I know Boudet's done some things I don't like. The fight against um, Barnett, where he's ahead in the fight. 
he's kind of winning and lands a few legal shots i forgot which kind but i was like dude what you're gonna lose this fight that you're clearly winning and i'm just like it, it brought up a little bit of red flag so for him i've got my eyes on him fighter iq and for josh parisian i can't sit here and say he's a, a genius in there either so both guys there's room for improvement in the fighter iq department for cardio josh parisian has a way of looking tired but like he comes back he kind of shakes himself back into it for martin boudet he's looked tired too at times but he's tired while doing offense he's leaning on his guy he's throwing tons of strikes high volume for a heavyweight it's not all meant to kill his opponent but he's just he's doing stuff he's throwing short strikes working in in the clinch very high volume guy so but he can look tired too and he had some opponents recently where he probably should have done more with them and it went to decision uh, when it comes to finishing ability neither guy is very good at finishing i just gotta put it out there for martin boudet I think he's been to like three straight decisions so these guys are not high level finishers this fight has all the makings of going longer into round number two three maybe to a full decision striking technique power i guess boudet has a slight advantage a little bit for grappling i do give an edge to josh parisian in the grappling department let's go over here the uh the right up here for this fight so martin boudet by decision is the prediction He's the natural heavyweight here. Well, they're both natural heavyweights. I'm sorry. They're both natural guys, big frames, not the kind of guys who are like light heavyweights who've gained too much weight who are fighting as heavyweights. That's my point. For Boudet, he does his best work in close, up against the fence. I mentioned before, dirty boxing, elbows in tight. He's on a massive 11 fight win streak, which includes three UFC wins and one finish on contender series, which is how he got his UFC contract, right? For whatever reason, though, he's been to three consecutive decisions. Two of those were very close. And he almost got disqualified against Chris Barnett. That was a low fighter IQ moment. Like I said before, his last three outings don't give fans much confidence. The line sort of kind of says the same thing. Minus 200. And Josh Parisian's not really that good. So it's like, why isn't he minus 400? He's on a massive winning streak, right? Well, because again, he's winning fights barely. And he's been like underwhelming, right? So we have our doubts about Mr. Boudet. We're still not completely sold on him. As for Josh Parisian, he's the quintessential heavyweight journeyman right been around for a while it feels almost like the ufc has a bunch of guys like him on the roster like guys like parker parker porter for example like there's a bunch of these guys just like hanging around middling big boys who have okay skills but they've got a heartbeat and a big body and UFC's like listen we just need more of these guys matter of fact they just signed cal machado to add to the cesspool of middling heavyweights and maybe he ends up becoming something but pretty much they just need bodies right the combined UFC records of the last three fighters that Parisian has defeated. Here we go. Let me listen to this now. The combined record of the last three fighters in the UFC that Parisian beat, their UFC records combined is 0-7-1. So he's never beaten someone in the UFC who actually has a win in the UFC. That's one thing. <laughs> we mustn't forget, too, that someone like Chase Sherman, my man was signed and cut. I think three times over the course of like two years like that's the current climate of the ufc heavyweight division so outside those top like seven to eight guys you know you get outside that that top group it's just a wasteland of guys like chris barnett how about hamdi hamdi um abdalawaba whatever that guy's name i think he's still around somewhere dontel mays is got, getting some wins again parker porter so you know, there's a lot of room there for these guys, and Josh Parisian just kind of sneaks right in that whole group. Parisian is basically a 500-level fighter over his last six fights. He's 3-3. Three and three. He's struggling against average competition. Now, to his credit, though, he's pretty durable. 
hasn't been finished in a while, um, and he actually hasn't been finished in his last 11 fights, right? For Boudet, three straight decisions. Uh, Parisian lacks power. Maybe you see a split. Maybe Boudet gets a point taken away from him from doing something silly. Either way, buyers beware. Be careful here. Do not invest anything serious on the money line. I think you're better off looking at distance props. How about this one? It's a little bit chalky, but check this one out. Fight starts round number two. Just five minutes. Can we get five minutes? That's minus 400. You take that spot. You parlay with something else you like on the card, like, I don't know, uh, McGee just winning outright, and move on here. Um, over 1.5 is minus 245. I might get a little scrunch of that. Boudet by decision is plus 175. Boudet by split is plus 800. Parisian by split plus 1200. It is a new day, 2023, when you see split props for heavyweights under plus 1,000. Is is it that obvious that now we live in a climate where heavyweights go to split decisions and they go to decisions in general? So yeah, plus 800 for Boudet by split and plus 1,200 for Parisian by split. Not great returns. Probably was about plus 2,000 for a fight like this maybe a year or two ago. We digress. We move on. Let's move up the card. Next fight's going to be Francis Marshall, two Americans actually. Francis Marshall at seven and one, up against Isaac Dolgarian, and Mr. Dolgarian, I believe, is making his UFC debut. So we have a UFC debutante, a featherweight bout, 145 pounders. Let me put the tunes up here, guys. A little bit too quiet for my liking. So Mr. Francis Fire Marshall, seven and one overall, four and one in his last five. He is the favorite here, currently lined at minus 165. I know the screen says something different here, but that's the list of topology numbers. The numbers I'm giving you are right off DraftKings right now. So Marshall minus 165, Isaac Dolgarian plus 140. Dolgarian is undefeated at 5-0, 27 years old, making his debut. Two-year pro career for Francis Fire Marshall, minus 165, 7-1 overall, 4-1 his last five, 24 years young, very young fighter. And he's been a pro for four years. And um, for gyms, by the way, we have uh, for... Mr. Marshall, he's out of Pellegrino Mixed Martial Arts. And for Isaac Dolgarian, he's out of Factory X Muay Thai. Both very good gyms. About a two-inch height advantage there for Francis Fire Marshall, according to uh, Tapology. All right. So as for my side-by-side -side comparisons of these two guys here, experience-wise, both very inexperienced. So I give him about the same rating. Fighter IQ, same thing. Cardio, I think Marshall has a slight advantage just because we haven't seen Isaac go longer very much. For finishing ability, yeah, they both have finishing ability. I can argue Francis has done it at a higher level. For Isaac Dolgarian, he's got finishes, but it's like, he, who was he fighting? We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, striking, I think Marshall's the better striker. I, I think Isaac depends upon natural athleticism and power. I, I think that can break down over the course of three rounds, whereas Francis, I believe, is a little more technical of a striker. For grappling, I also give a slight advantage there to Francis Marshall. Let's talk about the notes i have here in these two fighters so marshall by round one submission at plus 350 is our prediction dolgarian's making his ufc debut he's put together a nice five and oh record with all five wins by round one finish kind of reminds me of jacqueline Am amorum right <laughs> coming to the ufc all first round finishes he likes to drag his fighters to the mat where he can submit them or pour on some ground and pound we have no idea of his finishing skills in terms of how they'll transfer over to this level. It's just, it's hard. You can't, we're just guessing. We assume he, he could finish somebody. Maybe he could finish Marshall. I don't know. Probably a little bit of a step up, too kind of too hard, right? But 
based upon past debutants, people who've done this before, who've come in undefeated, first round finishes. We've seen the examples, just like Jacqueline Amarim. We're using that example. That's why we're going to be fading Isaac in this spot. We got to see him fight in the UFC. We don't know. We do know Francis Marshall is UFC caliber. Is he a former a future contender? No idea. Is he going to, whatever, he's going to phase, fade out eventually? I have, but we do know currently right now he can hold his own, his own in the UFC. And so from that standpoint, there is like a heavy lean there towards Marshall from an experience standpoint. All right. Now for Marshall, earned his UFC stripes. The decision win on contender series last year so didn't get a finish but had a really good close fight got a decision got a contract now since then he's fought twice earning a knockout win over rojo then losing a split decision to gomes in his last fight a good tough fight and gomes is a good fighter at the very least again we know that marshall can hang with ufc caliber opponents he's mixing in 3.73 uh takedowns per fight which is awesome about four takedowns per fight while also landing 4.08 strikes per minute so good volume good takedowns for Dolgarian, he likes to grapple. So Marshall's going to have opportunities to tie up with him and look for a submission. Marshall has four rear naked chokes in his resume. We think this could be his fifth one. A notable concern here for both fighters, by the way, is the lack of experience and age. We talked before on our little handy dandy sheet here. I think we've got it marked for Mar We should mark it. Marshall, a little red box here. Marshall's 24 years old. Isaac Dolgarian has two years professional experience. I mean, these are the red flags you look for. Could either fighter come in here and do something and make a mistake like you did when you were 24 years old? I'm just saying, you know, things happen. People make mistakes. They have a bad weight cut, maybe personal life, girlfriend. I'm just speculating. You get the point here. 24 years old, you're still very wet behind the ears. And for Dolgarian, UFC debut, there's that pressure. Only two years pro experience. So I'm just putting it out there. You know, probably a fight. You don't want to get heavily invested. But we do like Francis Marshall a lot here. And the price is, is very fair, in my humble opinion. Let's move up the card here. Next fight's going to be Terrence McKinney. Oh, my gosh. Terrence McKinney. I feel like we just watched him fight a few weeks ago. And then it's like, well, we did watch him fight a few weeks ago. So Terrence McKinney up against Mike Breeden. A lightweight bout. These guys are 155 pounders for Terrence T-Rex McKinney. We have him winning this fight by round one submission. That's our pick to win. We'll get there. We'll talk to you about how we think it's going to happen and why we like that opportunity for him. That spot's only plus 200. So the market, they know this too, right? They're already hepped the idea that Terrence McKinney, if he wins this fight, it's probably early on and submission would be one of the, the methods for him. So McKinney is 13 and 6 overall, 2 and 3 in his last 5. He's the favorite here out of Spokane, Washington, currently lined at minus 280 to be exact. You've got Dearden, or sorry, Dearden, Breeden, Mike Breeden at plus 225. Um, and for McKinney, so we like him by round one submission, trying to bounce back from his last fight. I mean, it's, oh man, it's been rough for him. But he's 28, he's very young, still has some time. On Tapology, he, said, he said, says he's at Warrior Camp MMA. He's no longer at Warrior Camp MMA. He's down in Texas now training with Kevin Holland. Don't know the name of the gym. It's sort of like a traveling group, and I think Kevin Holland now has just sort of purchased some space or renting some space now to have his own gym of guys training. So that's where he's at with some good guys, good training partners. As for Mike Breeden, who goes by money, 10 and 5 overall, 2 and 3 in his last 5. So also 2 and 3 in his last 5. 34 years old. That's interesting. So kind of getting to that point, right? 5 and 10. I'm sorry, 5 foot 10. So same height as McKinney out of Marathon MMA. All right, as for my analysis here real quickly here, I think that McKinney and him have about the same experience. Fighter IQ, I give a slight edge to Mike Breeden because when it comes to Terrence McKinney, 
fighter IQ is part of the Achilles heel, right? <laughs> cardio, uh, Mike Breeden definitely gets an edge there. McKinney, that's another part of his game. We'll talk about cardio. Finishing ability, McKinney's got the edge there. Striking, uh, you know, McKinney needs work there. And it's like, Breeden's okay too. So kind of like a, a toss up there. For grappling, um, I'll give an edge maybe to McKinney ever so slightly. Let's talk about uh, my notes on these two guys here. Hold on, let me just pull this screen up here so you're not looking at that screen too much. Okay, notes, notes. So this is the bounce back fight for McKinney. He fought less than, what, three and a half weeks ago, less than a month ago. We don't love the quick turnaround. I will say it's like, you know, he needs some time to develop his game, right? He needs some time to make some improvements. We talked about Juliana Miller earlier. McKinney's in the same boat. But he's young. He's full of piss and vinegar. He wants to go out there and get back on, on a wing, you know, ways. And so he gets a phone call and he's like, I'll take it. You know, I'm ready, coach. Um, he may never be like a top five guy or ever be a title contender, but he is box office. He is fun to watch fight. I believe he's got plenty of finishes still left in him. Fans like watching him fight. Dana enjoys his fights too. And so he's kind of got all that going for him. Now, all that said, he just got finished now two fights in a row within a short period of time. And so we're wondering, like, what's his potential now? We're starting to sort of recalibrate what, what can McKinney become. He's a stud. He's very talented. He's athletic. His wrestling credentials are through the, through the roof. If you don't know, he actually was, like, flirting with an Olympic team coming out of high school. Like, that's how talented he is. But the last two outings were, were telling. Um, cardio's a problem. If he can't get you out right away, then it's like he has no plan B. And then he becomes a target. You know, striking doesn't look very good. And so it kind of has to go his way early on. Like the fight he had against, oh, the guy who he had knocked down last year with the big chin, the blondie. He knocked that guy down. He had him all but finished and then just kind of gassed out and allowed the opponent to get back in the fight. And ultimately, he drops the fight. So with McKinney, that's like a synopsis of his career. Like he's got amazing skills early on and then after that first few moments the wheels kind of fall off <laughs> you know for breeding he's a points fighter does his best work on the feet he'll still be in search here of his first ufc win so never got a win in the ufc yet at least mckinney has that for breeding looking to break a two fight losing streak as well he's dropped three of his last five not so good in his defense though all three of those defeats though over his last five were against pretty good opponents he's six and five in his last 11 so i mean currently obviously breeding at a 500 level you know so the same way we look at mckinney as like a killer b kill type of fighter that's like sort of his mantra i would say breeding is like captain average you know so something has to give here does captain average you know win the day and you know take mckinney into round two and three and tire him out i mean that's the smartest thing you can do test him over there strike with him at range don't wrestle with him early on and then we got captain average with an average decision um or does mckinney come in here with like sparks and fireworks and flying everywhere, flying knees and highlights. I mean, he can do it. You know, his highlight finishes, his fighting style, it's intoxicating. Like you want to see this kid do well and you want to see him get a finish and you want to know how you should bet this, right? <laughs> it's my interpretation here. The UFC is giving him a layup. They're giving him a guy who's older, who's not winning a lot of fights, who should be somewhat of a target is so long if McKinney's is capable of going around to hasn't had a full camp. That's a problem, right? So, you know, if McKinney, by the way, here's going to be, I'm playing a little devil's advocate here. This is going to be a little like dark side of the situation here. I got to thinking about this. 
if McKinney can't seal the deal here and beat Breeden, then I believe his very next fight will be, he'll be fighting for his contract. And I say it with pause because just about not even a year ago, people were talking about McKinney cracking the top 10 that McKinney, like there was so much and it was, it was deserving. He was finishing people like in seconds, just touch somebody. They would go down, but how much a year changes, right? How much it changes in a year. Now it's like, if he drops this fight, it's like, wow, the next fight he is fighting maybe for his contract, because if he were going to finish here round number one, that would be three straight getting times finished early in the fight. And then it's like, who, who do you give him next? So there is a little bit more at stake here for McKinney than I think some people realize. He's a new father. He's a family man. I know he wants to be successful. We've had a chance to interview him before. He's a very nice young man, but it's it's shifting. The, the tide has shifted from you being a good prospect. We're all looking forward to seeing exciting and people love you, your box office to like, you know, like you suffer one bad loss against Bonfim or whatever, you know, like then you start getting choked out last fight by the other guy, like Sajikov choked him out, had his arm behind his back. <laughs> yeah, so McKinney needs this win in the worst way. Betting spots, the fight does not start round three at minus 500. I know that's very chalky. That's just saying we get 10 full minutes here. I think within those 10 minutes, we do see a finish. McKinney within the first two rounds, there's not a price in that yet, but that would be a spot I would looking at for McKinney. Maybe McKinney round one submission. And then on the money line, I don't know if I could parlay Terrence. I just can't because I know there's a chance he could lose. I know there's a way he could lose this fight. And not because he doesn't mean he's stupid, just because if he doesn't do anything early on and Breeden just gets it to round two or three, then it's like, I don't know what version we're going to see of McKinney. So I can't parlay him here. I mean, sharp money's probably going to come in on Breeden. I mean, he's got a shot as long as, I mean, he knows the game plan. Stay away from the danger early on. Force Terrence to fight. Uh, a long distance fight. That's the key to victory for him. So, but we like McKinney here to win by round one submission at plus 200. That is our actual pick and our prediction. We move on up the card here. This should be our last prelim fight. Marcus McGee, the American, against JP Bays, the South African. And of course, JP Bays is the former husband of Cheyenne Vlismus. And uh, no longer, they have been separated now for a long time and divorced. But uh, yeah, so he had a connection to a former UFC fighter. And he himself has been in and out of the UFC, right? He was here. He got cut. Now he's back. And so we'll talk about that in a second. But a Bantamweight bout, 135 pounders, Marcus McGee, the maniac Marcus McGee against JP Bay's Young Savage. Before we give you the breakdown, we'll tell you now that we do like Marcus McGee to win by a TKO in round number two. That prop is plus 450. McGee's lined at minus 360 currently. A big favorite, probably the biggest favorite on the card. And justifiably so against JP Bay's at plus 285. For their line, for their lines here, seven and one for McGee, four and one in his last five. Big favorite here out of Phoenix, Arizona, thirty-three years old, five foot eight in height with a sixty-nine inch reach out of MMA Lab. Good gym, trains with guys like um, Sean O'Malley and company. A guy who's just got a lot of good training partners in the gym with some some top-notch guys. For JP Bays, tough stretch for him here, two and three in his last five, nine and five overall. From South Africa, now based out of Las Vegas, 27 years old, out of Extreme Couture. I think he's out of Extreme Couture. I'm not sure. I believe he was there a long time ago with Jay, with, with Cheyenne, but I, again, I don't know if he's there anymore. Um, he's 5'5", five five, a little bit shorter here, with a little bit less reach as well. Let me go over my side-by-side -side notes real quick with you guys here. So, McGee, less experience. You got to give JP base. He does have a little more fights. He's got 14 compared to 8 for McGee. For Fighter IQ... I give an edge to McGee here. I think McGee is sharp, training with some good guys here. 
JP Bay's, I don't know if it's just bad luck, but kind of not making good decisions, not putting himself in a good spot in his fight. For cardio, giving edge to McGee, finishing ability, edge to McGee, striking about the same and grappling. You know, JP Bay's, his best skill set is wrestling. That's actually what he does pretty well. McGee, I think, probably outperforms him there because of just natural power. Um, but I can't say that for sure. I'm speculating. So pro experience, three years for McGee, eight years for Bays. So again, more experience for Bays and more fights for Bays. As for our notes here, so McGee by round two knockout, that's our prediction. JP Bays in our humble experience, not quite up to snuff with a guy like Marcus McGee. I think nine times out of 10 of these guys fight, you would see McGinney, uh, McGinney, you would see McGee getting a finish of some kind. McGee is a very safe parlay piece, I believe, this weekend. Maybe the safest of all the spots you consider for a parlay if you're looking at the money line. Worst case scenario, maybe Bays gets a takedown. I'm saying worst case scenario for McGee. Bays gets like a takedown, wins part of a round. But over the course of three rounds, I think McGee's going to get to him at some point, probably find a finish. McGee is not a flash in the pan. He did win his first fight on UFC a few months back. Super late, replaced, like hours replacement, like two days or something like that. But the guy comes out of a good camp. He's ready. People talk highly of him. He's 33 years old. It's now or never. Um, and again, we had a chance to interview this, this young man, McGee. I say young man. <laughs> um, he's like a young man. He's got kids, a wife. He's a family man. Just got his head screwed on tight. He seems like he understands what's at stake. But again, at his age, there's no time to waste. He's in the gym. He's busting his ass. He'll get this finish here, I believe, in round number two. Betting spots. McGee inside the distance at minus 200. The under two and a half rounds at minus 300. And the fight does not go the distance at minus 400. All those spots will find their way somehow. Same, so many should perform onto our tip sheet. And now we move up to the main card. First fight, the main card is going to be Josh Fremd, the American fighter, up against Jamie Pickett, another American. A lot of Americans actually on this fight card, which is nice. I feel like recently we've had some fight cards where there's only like a few Americans. Like, where, where's the Americans at? Um, and so here we go. They're side by sides here. Josh Fremd, 10 and 4 overall. Jamie Pickett, the Night Wolf, 13 and 9. Before we get into our breakdown, we're going to tell you that we are on Jamie Pickett to win by split decision. That is our like long shot call of the night. That's our hot take here. You heard it here first. Jamie Pickett by split decision. It's not the craziest predictions. I think when you start peeling back the layers here, there's just like moments on both guys, you know, background and resumes that you're like, huh, interesting. Like you kind of forget about their backgrounds. Like Pickett, especially. I forgot how bad it's been for Pickett. <laughs> like when I pull up his topology, I was like, oh. Oh, goodness. My goodness. All right. Just red everywhere. Red all over the place. Um, but, you know, not all the red is created equal. You know, when you're losing against good fighters, like, you know, like Bo Nickel, for example. That doesn't even count. But the point is, he has been fighting good competition. Been around for a minute. I also forgot about that. Been around for a long time. Anyway, so Jamie Pickett by split decision is our prediction. That's plus 1,600, by the way, if you're interested in that prop. For Frem, 10 and 4 overall out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Three to his last five. 29 years old. Six foot four in height. Only 29. Wow. Very young guy. 76 and a half inch reach. So reach wise, we'll actually be at a disadvantage here to Night Wolf. But height wise, we'll have a two inch advantage here for my man, Mr. Josh Fremd. Fremd's out of the All American MMA Academy. For my man, Night Wolf, Jamie Pickett, 13 and 9 overall. Two and three to his last five. From Wilmington, North Carolina, 34 years old, 11 months. So getting up there now, 35, definitely approaching the later years for a middleweight. 
that's definitely towards the tail end of the career. Six foot two in height, so again, a little bit shorter, but more reach. He's out of Port City Sports Performance. Okay, here's my notes in this fight here. Fremd, not a bad fighter, so I want to preface that. I don't think Josh Fremd's a bad fighter by any means, but this line is disrespectful to pick it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like everyone just drank the Frem juice, and I know Frem's pretty good, but it's like, uh, who did he just beat? What, he beat Sidigrius Dumas? We've interviewed Dumas many, many times. Dumas was not all there for that fight. He was like in a different place mentally. And and Frem, oh, wait, yeah, Frem got the win. So it's like, I, I wasn't that impressed with that fight. I still need to see more from him. To, to us, to my opinion, this is a coin flip. Pickett is being faded in the market because he got destroyed in his last fight by Bo Nickel. And he's on a losing streak. We can all see that, a massive losing streak. But Frem is being overrated because what, he beat Dumas? If you look closer at Frem's record, you're going to notice that he hasn't really defeated anybody. He doesn't have any big wins. So long story short is this. Some some quick some quick uh, tips for you in this fight. Do not parlay Frem. <laughs> Do not parlay Frem at minus, where is he at here? Minus um, 335 right now? No. Do not do that. I mean, look at the resume of Pickett. At the very least, the guy's been in the UFC for a minute, has experience, has fought some decent opponents, and yeah, I know he's telling off, and yeah, he's getting older, but this is the setup. Like, the market is set here to destroy your parlays. Here's the parlay killer, and look, Vegas knows how to get their money. They're going to make you pay for friend, and if you're really being a, a, like a straight-up gambler here, you'd be paying 3.55 units to win one unit here. Ain't nobody in their right mind should be doing that. <laughs> nobody in their right mind should be doing that. I ain't going to do that. So even though I'm not saying Frem can't win, and I told you before, Frem is not a bad fighter, and probably most people will pick up the win here. I just Pickett's got more experience, and I think that the market's being a little whitewashed here. So give me Pickett, probably a close decision. The betting targets I like here, the fight going over 1.5 rounds at minus 170. Pickett by split decision at plus 1,600. And then Frem by split is also plus 1,100. Some good returns there. But buyers beware, guys. Be really careful with that fight. The line When the line came out initially, it was like around minus 300 for Frem. Then I'm like, what in the world? Again, not saying he's not a good fighter. I just did that up to me. Next fight in the main card, Tafan Ninjukwe versus AJ Dobson. Let me pull up their profiles for you guys. Now, Tafan Ninjukwe hails from the country of... I don't know the flag offhand. I'm sorry. Cameroon. My man is from Africa. And AJ Dobson is an American fighter. Before we get into the breakdown of this middleweight bout, I'll tell you who our prediction is to win. We do like AJ Dobson by a round two knockout. That's lined at plus 900 currently if you like that prop. For Tefan Njukwe, he's the minus 145 favorite. You get AJ Dobson on the other side at plus 120. Again, middleweight bout. That's 185 pounders. We like Dobson again to win by round two knockout. Let me get here into... Their numbers for Tafan and Jukoy, six and three overall, two and three in his last five. He's out of Maryland, 28 years old, so very young. And <laughs> I've heard speculation about his age. He does look older than 28. I do give him, I do give people that who've speculated about that. He does look older than that. He's six foot high with a 77 inch reach out of a team Lloyd Irvin. As for AJ Dobson, six and two overall, three and two in his last five, out of Ohio, 31 years old, about the same age, I guess, theoretically. 6'1 in height, a little bit taller for AJ Dobson, 76-inch reach, so same reach for him out of Carlson Gracie Team Ohio and Immortal Martial Arts Center. There's your basics these two guys. Let me go over our breakdown here of the fight. So 
for H. Dobson, we like him by round two knockout. Durability is one of the major factors in this fight for us. That was one of the deciding factors. Dobson has never been stopped, whereas Ninjuku has been killed in his last two fights. Like, most recent two fights. Ten fights into the career of Ninjuku, he had never been finished. And now he comes into this fight off of his last two fights getting finished. They say sometimes for some people, they get that first time he had knocked out or cracked, they're never the same. We don't know if he's the same. Like, if he gets knocked out again, for example, now you're like, oh, a Mar Mariah situation where he got knocked out that one time and never recovered. So we can't get behind him here. There's just absolutely no way you can bet on Ninjukoi and be comfortable after these back-to-back -back round one knockouts. It's like it's almost like Terrence McKinney. You can't feel comfortable betting on Terrence McKinney. Like, you could do it. <laughs> you can try it. You can act like you'd be comfortable, but you're not going to be comfortable. <laughs> now, for Dobson, spring a negative striking ratio. You don't like that. When it comes to striking, actually, for Ninjuku, he does average like six strikes per minute, high output. So if it's on paper, striking-wise, he could have an edge. So Dobson has a negative striking ratio, and he averages less striking output in general than Ninjuku. I just, I just said that. For Dobson, should have an advantage, though, in the wrestling department. Dobson averages almost two takedowns per fight. A few takedowns can go a long way to beating Dobson. I'm beating Ninjuku on the, on the ground, holding position, earning control time, right? Both of them are desperate for a win. They both dropped two fights in a row, so both coming on two fight losing streaks. This fight has all the makings though of a, of a fight where both guys will be desperate to win. Maybe we see a finish. Fight starts right number two at minus three thirty. Fight does not go the distance at minus one sixty five. The fight ends by a knockout. Either side is minus one ten. I do like that prop a lot. But going with Dobson here to win the fight on the line, he's plus one twenty. It's it's a pick 'em range, and I think it's a it's a good price tag. I think it should be around a pick 'em. I'm not sure Ninjukui should be favored. Um, it's the same guy, right? It's the same fighter, basically, in some ways. And the best version of them both could win the fight. Let's hope the best version of both of them show up on, on Saturday and we just get an all-out war, right? And we get a nice finish at some point. So give us Dobson in the fight by round two knockout. We move on. Back to the females. Pollyanna Viana at plus 160 versus Yasmin Lucindo at minus 190. Let me grab their profile for you guys. Both Brazilian female fighters and uh, coming in on some momentum, a strawweight bout, 115 pounders. If you don't know what strawweight is, strawweight sounds very light, right? Like straw. So the sm small ladies here, Pauliana Viana goes by Dama de Ferro, 13-5 overall, 3-2 in her last five from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 31 years old, 5-5 five, five in height with a 67-inch reach out of Tata Fight Team. Though I heard she's not training at Tata Fight Team full-time. So it could be like, an, I think, in Florida at ATT or something doing some training. For Lucindo, 14-5 and five overall, 4-1 her last five. She's the favorite here, 21 years old, so very young. That's just something to keep in mind, very young. 5-3, a little bit shorter. About the same reach out of Academy, Academy of Fight House. As for our notes in these two fighters here, we are going to go with Yasmin or Eisman Lucinda by decision at plus 110. If you like Pollyanna Viana, I'm here to hear you out. I think she's got very uh, submission. Take Pollyanna Viana by by submission. Thank me later if you're betting on her. That would be her method, right? So we're not counting her out, not by any means. She has the skill set and finishing ability to end a fight. Viana's last nine wins have all been by a finish, and most of them by submission. So if she can get the fight to the ground, she's in her wheelhouse, she can be dangerous. Now, her biggest flaw is consistency. She's three and four in her last seven. Now, she's on a roll of late, though. She's having one now where her last three fights in a row, looking for her fourth in a row, or her last four, three of her last four. She went three of her last four. Can she scoop up another submission here? I think she could. 
Lucindo's going to give her some time to grapple. She'll exchange with her in the grappling exchanges. So, I mean, the one thing is this, though. Lucinda has, what, I don't know how many fights. A ton, right? Lucinda's currently at um, almost 20 fights for Lucinda. She's only been submitted one time. So it's not like she's easy to submit, but she has been, you know, submitted before. Lucinda's a rightful favor here, but she still has room to improve, and she's still unproven in general. She has finishes on her resume, yet three of her last three fights have all gone to decision. So recently, going the full distance. Her key to success here is controlling Vienna on the ground, but like safe control. Like have Vienna on her back. Vienna will make the mistake of trying to, you know, try to find arm bars and stuff from the back. If Lucinda can keep her there, averaging two takedowns per fight, keep control time, that'll be an easy path to victory. But she has to be weary of the submissions. Vienna's a legit submission attack. Again, look at her resume. Tons of submissions. But if I think uh, Lucinda racks up control time here, she gets to, she gets to win here on the scorecards. The betting spots over one point five rounds at minus three twenty. Viana by submission at plus three fifty, and Lucinda by decision at plus one ten. I don't have it available to me, but I would also look at Viana by like round one submission again early on is where I think she's going to be at her most dangerous. But I'm going to go here with Lucinda to win by decision, which is plus one ten. Market is giving you no love there. They're just telling you, listen, here's a little bit of some bread. Okay, moving up the card, Khalil Roundtree, a light heavyweight bout, up against Chris Dalkis at plus 150. Two American boys, two two big guys, right? These are the light heavyweights at 205, just shy of the heavyweight division. And speaking of heavyweights, for Chris Dalkis, he's actually coming down from heavyweight division, looking to get himself back on track after a little bit of a rough stretch there as a heavyweight. So before I get to the breakdown, I'll tell you right now that I do like Chris Dalkis by round two knockout. That is our prediction. He's plus 150 here on the line. The two round two knockout prop for him is plus 900. Uh, not a big dog on the line. Line makes sense. These guys are both, I think, respectable fighters. They belong in the UFC. And uh, for Chris Dacus, he probably needs this fight a little bit more than Khalil Roundtree, right? In terms of their side-by-sides, 11-5 for Roundtree, 3-2 in his last five. Out of Las Vegas, 33 years old. Out of Syndicate MMA, Six foot one in height with a seventy four inch reach, and he's about a two inch reach disadvantage. I'm sorry, two inches shorter. I'm sorry than Dalkus, and about a two inches reach disadvantage as well to Dalkus. So Dalkus will be the bigger guy. Makes sense coming down from heavyweight, right? Dalkus is twelve and six overall, two and three in his last five out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thirty three years old, so same age. Again, a little bit tall, a little bit, little bit high, a little bit tall, a little bit longer, and um, and roughly the same amount of experience too, right? Okay. My notes here, these two fighters. So Dacus by round two knockouts, our prediction. Dacus needs this win pretty bad um, before he can get back. Like, put it this way. He's the guy who stopped being a full-time policeman. He retired from that career to put all his eggs into the basket of becoming a mixed martial arts fighter and making this a career. It matters to him, right? So he needs this fight. He's been in a rough stretch. He's going to change weight divisions, come down to light heavyweight. That cut can't be easy, right? So he's he's got his proverbial back against the wall here. Moving down in heavyweight is is not an easy uh, journey for anybody. He trains at a very good gym, appears to have very good cardio. He's known to be very athletic for his size. So even though his physical appearance may not look like he's kind of that the big guy who's athletic. You know, the guy a little chubby, but man, he's very athletic, kind of quick, good feet, quick hands. As a heavyweight, he was fast. Like, oh man, this guy's got hands. But then, you know, kind of got cracked. <laughs> the question here for him is, can he survive the heavy punch or two from Khalil? Because Khalil... Is going to throw some heat. He's going to land a few times. As long as Chris Dalkis can handle it. Like, a good punch will land sometimes. A good kick, whatever. But in the past, Dalkis has shown that it's like, it's kind of like, it depends who's hitting him. 
Now, getting hit by a heavyweight, getting hit by a guy like some of the guys he got hit by, compared to someone like Roundtree, a little bit different. But still, he's got to survive the kicks, the punches, the attack early on. And if he can, he's got a great shot here to, to drag, I think, Roundtree to rounds two and three, where I believe Dawkins will be a little fresher and have the opportunity to be winning, at least winning the the the, the, the volume battle, right? For Roundtree, on a, on a big upswing right now, looking for his fourth win in a row, during his win streak, he's mowed over Modestus Pukalkis and Carl Robertson. Now, those are two fi finishes he had. He barely won his last fight, though, by split over Dustin Jacoby. Not so bad. J Dustin Jacoby's a good fighter. We just saw him win the fight the other day, right? So Dustin's a good fighter. All momentum for him right now is currently on his side. But I have reason for pause here. For example, let's go back look at these last few fights. He beats Robertson, finishes him. Carl Robertson is, is not very good. And no one's going to disagree with me on that one. He's just not very good. So that one's kind of like, ah. Modestus, he beat him. Okay. But it was an oblique kick. It was a very fluky kick to the inside of the knee. Modestus goes down right away. End of the night. Modestus then gets cut by the UFC, goes to Cage Warriors, then regroups, comes back. He's now back in the UFC. Those are the two finishes he had recently. And so I think when you see it at first or on paper, you're like, oh, man, he's finishing people. He didn't finish Dustin Jacoby. And so I have to pump the brakes here on Khalil Roundtree. I got to see more. I'm not completely sold here. Um, I think the split decision, for example, against Dustin Jacoby suggests to me, and I have good reason to think this, that he's at the same level of Dust as Dustin Jacoby. And so I draw the comparison. If Dustin Jacoby fought Chris Dawkins, who would win that fight? I don't know. I would have it lined pretty close. I would have it lined really close. And so I think we're talking about all three guys are in a similar wheelhouse. Roundtree, Dawkins, and Dustin Jacoby. This fight very well could go to the decision, could come down to who has a better gas tank, could be another split here. You know, guys who go to splits tend to go to splits more often, right? So I'm just... A lot of stuff could happen here, right? <laughs> um, the drop down in heavyweight is a good thing and a bad thing. The good part is, I think, at least is less power coming at the head of Dalkis. He should be a little safer. The bad thing is, if the weight cuts rough and he loses energy and and just it's a bad, maybe wishes misses weight. I don't know. Those things are all possible. But um, we're not impressed with the people that Cleo Roundtree has beaten. Nice weight, nice wins in terms of how he did it. But need to see more from him. I think Dalkis is a very live dog here. He's in a spot like from a betting perspective. The fight going under two and a half rounds at minus 400. Dalkis by knockout at plus 240. Not going to have a ton of play here. And I'm not backing Khalil Roundtree at minus 180 because I just told you I'm having a hard time convincing myself that he's he's like, there's a phrase in football, like you, your, your record is what they your, your record is what you are or something. Your record says what you are or something. Bill Parcells was a quote. In mixed martial arts, that's not always the case. And so, yeah, three-fight win streak or whatever, it's like, who are you beating? Um, we know better. And so I got to see more from Khalil. Um, this would be more. Dacus would be a good, respectable win for him. And for Dacus, my man needs this victory. Let's move on here to the next fight. Next fight up on the main card is going to be the co-main event. We are already there, boys and girls. The co-main event. After I'm done with the breakdown, we could talk a little bit. We could just share some notes and go over some questions that you guys may have over some specific fights here. I just want to get through the... The main part of the breakdown, if you guys don't mind. All right, so next up, the co-main event is going to be a guy you all recognize, a household name, Cub Swanson, a longtime veteran, up against Hakeem Duwadu. So Swanson, the American fighter, been around for a minute, 28 and 13, tons of fights. Hakeem Duwadu, 13-3 and 1 overall. 
We'll tell you right now that we do like Hakeem Duado to win this fight by round three knockout. That prop is plus 1,100. That is our prediction. That's our method of victory. Hakeem Duado, round three knockout. Duado's the favorite here at minus 230. You got Cub Swanson at plus 190. Swanson, again, 28 and 13 overall. Tons of fights. I mean, 40 fights, working towards 50 now. Three and two in his last five. Out of Palm Springs, California. Surprisingly, three and two in his last five. You're thinking like, oh, he's been on a rough stretch. Like, it's not bad, three and two. From California, 39 years old in nine months. So we'll be 40 years old soon before the end of the year. He's 5'8 with a 70-inch reach out of Jackson Wink MMA. For Hakeem Duado, the Canadian fighter, 13-3-1 overall, 3-2 in his last five. Also 3-2 in his last five. From Calgary, Alberta, Canada, 32 years old, 5'8 in height, so same height, about the same reach as well, out of Champions Creed Mixed Martial Arts, and he is the favorite here. So what say we of this fight? We like Hakeem Duado by round three knockout. For Swanson, I mean, three to four years ago, Swanson... I think everyone's going with Swanson to win this kind of fight three to four years ago. But he's about 40, and uh, he's showing that Father Time is definitely on his heels. He got ripped apart by Martinez in his last fight. I mean, he got knocked down from leg kicks, ate some body shots, got buzzed in the head. And Martinez is a very good fighter. So in his defense, you know, Swanson took more than maybe some guys could take. But it's a byproduct of just the history of things adding up. He's starting to show the signs of wear and, chair, wear, wear and tear. And so... Yeah, rough straight. He's three and six in his last nine fights. He also dropped a grappling bout in that period of time, so like three and seven, technically. Nothing but respect for Swanson. He's a guy that we enjoy watching fight, but it appears to us like it's definitely the rearview mirror now. His best days are behind him. And so, unless he has a, tri a trick up his sleeve, like one more for the gusto, one for the gipper, I don't know. Um, it seems to me like this might be a bad fight for him. And a matter of fact, a bad loss. Ugh, dare I say Swanson is going to hang it up, put on the gloves? Ugh, who knows? I don't know his contract situation, so who knows. For Duwado, he's a justifiable favorite here. It makes sense. Minus 300 odds, though, is a bit pricey. Our big concern with him is that he's not a very high-volume striker. Let's say that my man Swanson drags us to round number two and three, right? It makes it a little, little pitter-patter back and forth, close fight. Next thing you know, Duwado's lack of volume, you know, and then Swanson's just got the dog in him to just keep fighting and keep pressuring the pace. Next thing you know, we got a close fight. Referees, the fans are on the side of not the referees, but the fans are on the side of Swanson. You know, emotional. Next thing you know, a judge or two just gets crazy and gives him a close split. <laughs> so, I think for Duwado at this price tag, you got to finish him. He's got to attack the legs, got to find the chin. You know, you got to get a finish here. This guy's almost forty years old. For Duwado, if he wins by a, a decision, that's fine. You'll take it, but it might get sweaty, man. And that price tag of minus three hundred, whatever, is, is going to look inappropriate. The best version of Duwado, he should finish Swanson here. The best version of him. But the low volume again, the dog in Swanson. Do you want to bet against Swanson? I don't know about that. Betty targets here we like are going to be the fight starts round number two at minus 360. That to me seems like a space face safe spot, right? Just going five minutes here. I think Swanson has five minutes in him. I'm pretty sure Duwado does too. So fight just going to round number two minus 360. Duwado has a parlay piece. Which is where is he at now? Duwato's currently trading at uh, minus two thirty. Wow! So he did. He came down. I think he was minus three hundred something before, but minus two thirty. Wow. Okay. Um, fix my typo here. Okay. Um, other props here. So Duwato by knockout plus one sixty five. Duwato by split at plus eight hundred, and Swanson by split decision at plus one thousand. Who knows? 
crazier shit does happen. We get, we haven't we didn't have a split last weekend, I don't think. So we do need to split now. We're due for one. Okay, boys and girls, last fight on the main card. Again, after I'm done with this fight, I'll talk to you guys in the chat. We'll get some conversations going. We'll talk about some different fights in the fight card that I didn't touch upon enough in detail. I'll get some feedback here. I'll hang out at least for like another 20 minutes or so. Okay. Vincente Luque, main event, minus 105 against Rafael Dos Anjos at plus, I'm sorry, minus 115. It's a welterweight bout, 170 pounders. This line has been sitting at a pick two weeks now, three weeks maybe. Has not moved. I love it. Um, it's telling you right now the market is split. I'm split too. Even though we're going to sit there look at it win this fight by a round four knockout, I can see that he has not looked great recently, has taken a lot of damage. And Rafael Dos Anjos, talk about having a dog in them like Swanton. This guy, Dos Anjos, has that kind of a dog, been around for a long time, knows how to win fights, knows how to finish fights, has good submissions, so on and so forth. So let me go into their, their side by sides and then I'll give you guys the. Um, breakdown of this fight here give me one second pull up there side by side and here we go main event welterweight bout luke versus um dos años and so for Vicente luke 21 and 9 overall one draw two and three in his last five sorry three and two in his last five from brazil 31 years old 511 in height with a 76 inch reach out of cerrado mma and also does some training at a kill cliff wonderful gym down there in florida for rafael dos años 32 and 14 overall three two in his last five He's out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 38 years old. So about to be 39. He'll be 39 in a few months. I mean, that's definitely a factor, right? I mean, this is this is a division where approaching 40 years old for a welterweight is, that's it. It's very, very old. You know, I don't know how many more fights he's got left in him. This fight might determine that, actually, help determine how much longer he's going to be fighting for. For Josanio, it's five foot eight, a little bit shorter than um, Luke A, though. I don't think it'd be much of a factor. And my screen got all shifted around here. Apologize. And... Um, you know, the Kings MMA, 70-inch reach. So reach advantage, though, is distinctly on the side of Luke A. Just putting it out there. Just helps him with all those chokes he does, right? So for this breakdown here, Luke A by round four knockout at plus 2,000 is our prediction. For Luke A, a balanced grappler with world-class world jiu-jitsu skills. He's been around the UFC now for almost a decade. He was, he was in an Ultimate Fighter show. After that, he made his pro debut in 2015. In total, he has seven submission wins. Five of those by Darsh, Darsh Choke. So Darsh Choke is his method of victory. His most notable win in the UFC was over Bilal Muhammad, over Jalen Turner as well, and Mike Perry. Nice names, people you recognize, right? Look at throws and lands more than Anos, so he has more volume. He'll also have six-inch reach advantage over Anos. A prolonged stand-up affair you'd think would benefit Luke, but man, lately he's been not looking good on the feet, but he should be the better fighter on the feet over the course of four or five rounds. One area of concern for Luke is his takedown defense. Anjos averages just about two takedowns per fight, which over the course of five rounds comes out to like three takedowns. And Luke's takedown defense is 61%. Not great. Now, though we acknowledge that Luke has elite submission ability, Anjos has never been submitted. So there's a problem. We, we do like Luke to finish the fight. We're taking him by knockout, but we're not taking him by submission because of this issue. Anjos has been in a ton of fights and never been submitted before. And Anjos himself is an elite grappler too. It would benefit Luke to keep the fight standing. It's anyone's ball game on the ground. For Dos Anjos, the prototypical MA veteran with almost 50 professional fights, he broke into the UFC 2008. Damn, dude's been in the UFC 2000, since 2008. That's like almost 15, 16 years. This will mark his 34th fight in the 34th fight in the promotion. Is that right? His 34th fight in the promotion. I'm reading my notes here. Good lord. He prefers to initiate wrestling where he can overpower most opponents. Anya slowed down considerably versus Fiziev in his prior fight. He turns 39 years old in a few months, getting old. 
is Father Tom in his heels? I'd say yeah. The key to success for him, though, in this fight is going to be this. Taking down Luke and managing his cardio. So take down Luke, get a wrist lock, eat up some clock, manage his cardio. Because I thought he fell apart against Fiziev in large part due to cardio and not just because of getting beat up by Fiziev, but it was more of a cardio thing. We fear, though, a long fight on the feet. He gets picked apart. He's getting older. I mean, 38, 39, he's getting older. As fatigue sets in, I think Luke will be the, the, the sharper fighter. We'll start to pour it on here. But again, Luke has been... Luca has been not looking good recently too, so I do need to see better version from Luca. And I'm I'm torn. The line is appropriate minus 105, minus 110 both sides. It makes sense. The betting spots here over 1.5 rounds is minus 400. I love that spot. That's my favorite spot for this entire fight. I know it's chalky, but for me, it's like just find a small parlay piece I could do here and not sweat it out. These fight these fighters should go over what seven and a half minutes over 1.5 rounds. Fight does not go the full distance is minus 165. I think 25 minutes is enough for one of these two guys to do something, whether it's honest with a submission, whether it's Luke with a club and sub, somebody does something. You see a finish at some point. That's minus 165. Then Luke inside the distance, that's any kind of submission. Be the first one ever to submit Anos or a TKO at plus 165. Again, we're going with from the bottom to the top, Luana Santos, Damon Blackshear, Montserrat Ruiz, Barn Boudet, Francis Marshall, Terrence McKinney, Marcus McGee, Jamie Pickett, AJ Dobson, Lucindo, Chris Dalkis, Hakeem Duwadu, and Vincente Luque. Those are your picks for UFC Vegas 78.